0: Sarajevo was the scene of the assassination that led the Austro-Hungarian Empire to declare war on Serbia. And the rest, as they say, is history. History you can better appreciate when you visit the sites where world-changing events happened just a few generations ago. Joining us to help us grasp the events of 100 years ago in former Yugoslavia is Amir Telebacirovich. Amir is a journalist from Sarajevo, and he's been with us previously on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us about the events he survived during the Bosnian War of the 1990s. He's joined by Ben Curtis. Ben's a political science professor at Seattle University, and he also leads tours in the Balkans. Ben is also the author of The Habsburgs, History of the Dynasty and... The Traveler's History of Croatia. We'll also take your calls at 877-333-7425. Amir and Ben, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Ben, first of all, when you think of Yugoslavia and former Yugoslavia, you think about the shot that was heard around the world. What is that, and why does that matter?
1: Right, so imagine the scene, August 1914, or June 1914, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who is the heir to the throne of the Habsburg Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and the Balkans, former Yugoslavia at that time, were a position of jockeying between Bulgaria and Serbia and Austria-Hungary. Everybody wanted influence. And he comes down there to Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia-Herzegovina, and he's planting the Austro-Hungarian flag. He's saying, this is our territory. But some Serbian radicals didn't want him there. They knew that he was an authoritarian kind of imperialist. And so they set out to kill him on that day. He actually survived more than one assassination attempt. And the guy that finally got him... Gavrilo Princip, who was a Bosnian Serb radical, had one chance earlier in the day to kill him, chickened out, and then through the, a mistake of the archduke's chauffeur, who took a different route in Sarajevo, he passed by Princip again. That's when Princip actually killed the archduke and killed the archduke's wife. And that became the pretext for Austria-Hungary to declare war against Serbia, which exploded into World War One.
0: And because at that time there was such an intertangled web of alliances and treaties and the the Serbs were Slavic, like the Russians, mm-hmm. so the Russians sided with the Serbs. The Germans seemed to want a war going on, so they gave Austria this blank check of support, mm-hmm. and then bam, 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 all of a sudden, everybody is embroiled, and in fact, it all starts off, I think, with with uh, Germany invading France just because of all of these crazy alliances. Now, Amir Princip, P-R-I-N-C-I-P, he's the guy, the, the terrorist, the freedom fighter, the patriot, the guy who wanted to create a Yugoslavia, Uh, a union of the South Slav people, free from uh, German and Habsburg domination. He killed the Prince Charles of the Habsburgs, uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand. What do people today think of Princip in Sarajevo and in Bosnia?
2: Uh, by the way, he killed uh, his wife too Sophia. that's right, yeah. so, so it would have been
0: real, it would have so. been the equivalent in our generation mm-hmm. of uh, prince charles and and Lady Diana going yeah. down I mean
2: uh, down or to, maybe even like Romanov's in Russia, or yeah,
0: yeah, it's an amazing thing mm-hmm. to think about and And the more we are up on that as we visit, the more exciting it is. But today, a hundred years later, what's the feeling about Princep? Is he sort of kept quiet, or do people celebrate him, or is there any controversy about was he good or bad?
2: There is. I would say, unfortunately, there is, because it's related to everyday politics. For many, for example, Bosnian Serbs, especially Bosnian Serb politicians and historians, but not only uh, for Bosnian Serbs in the state of Serbia, too. He's uh, viewed as a hero, as a freedom fighter, etc. And at the same time, well, not all of them, but for many of them, nothing is black and white in 100% mm-hmm. in the Balkans. At the same time, for many non-Serbs in Bosnia and in the region, he's been viewed as a terrorist, assassin, etc. So we can say that... It's really tricky you know we can say that it's a bit of both
0: but there's a bridge mm. named after the assassin in uh, it was
2: actually bridge is from the 17th century so bridge uh-huh. had its own original name it was political idea to uh, name bridge after him that happened after the world war one after the establishment of the first yugoslavia it was, which was kingdom it was monarchy ruled right. by the serbian royal dynasty of karla Djordjevic, until the world war ii then yugoslavia fell apart after the world war ii new yugoslavia emerged which was the socialist and communist state but they decided to keep the. Same name after him. Now, interesting part in two different Yugoslavias kingdom, uh, more dominant by Serbia, he was viewed as a Serb national hero. In communist times, he was viewed as a Southern Slavic proletarian hero, like he was struggling against Austrian-Hungarian imperialism, as it was called with typical communist vocabulary. Nowadays, the bridge is named Latin Bridge, which was the original name from the Okay, century. so it's a
0: it's a charged issue. What yeah. you call the bridge in regards to
2: the name of the assassin? The bizarre thing is the street where it happened. The situation of that street shows how these things politically uh, divide the entire Balkans, how they change. For example, name of that street uh, was Applekay and it was getting connected. It, talking about the Habsburg time, getting connected to the street of Franz Josef, which was who was Kaiser, the ruler right. of Bosnia at that time. After the World War One, it was named into the street of Petal Karadjovitch, who was Serbian prince. In World War II, when Nazis occupied Sarajevo, it was named Adolf Hitler Street. Believe it or another Sarajevo had Adolf Hitler Street from 1941 to 1945. Wow. Then when Tito's partisans liberated the city, they renamed the same street, uh, named after one Yugoslav general, Stepa Stepanović. And nowadays, after the last war and collapse of old Yugoslavia, uh, it's named after the Kulin Ban, who happened to be one of the medieval Bosnian um, kings, who is uh, culturally and politically related, wow. neither to Croatia, nor Serbia, nor Turkey, nor Austria, just to Bosnia. How long it will remain like that depends <laughs> on the future elections and future occupations. You know, this, I've, I've lived all my life here in Seattle, and I can't remember
0: changing the name of a street for political reasons. Uh, well,
2: imagine the company that is uh, producing these uh, streets. these uh, signs. Place. Yeah, like how much money they can make, you know.
0: This is Travel with Rick mm. Steves. We're learning a little bit about history. It'll help our sightseeing in former Yugoslavia. Ben, it seems like Princep wanted to create a state uniting the South Slavs. Is that actually what happened long after he did his dirty
1: deed? Right. Well, the so the shot that killed Archduke Franz Ferdinand was eventually precipitated the collapse of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And when the Austro-Hungarian Empire collapsed, what do you get out of that but the new Yugoslavia, the kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes in 1918. So... In a way, Princip got what, what he wanted. died for, yeah. And what does Yugoslavia mean literally? South Slavs, so the land of the South Slavs.
0: Land Ugo, of the South, South Slavs. We're taking a close look at the events of World War I right now on Travel with Rick Steves and the sites in the Balkans associated with the events of 100 years ago that you can visit today to better appreciate our history. Our guests are journalist Amir Telabachirovich from Sarajevo and political science professor Ben Curtis from Seattle University. We have links to Ben's books about the Habsburgs and his traveler's history of Croatia. You'll find them in this week's show details, and that's in the radio section at ricksteves.com. And Paul's on the line in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Paul, thanks for your call.
1: Thanks for taking my call. My um, family comes from, on my mom's side, comes from... What was at that time Southern Hungary and is now Northern Yugoslavia. My grandfather was born near Novi Sad in the Vojvodina, and family lore has it that he was in Sarajevo on that day, June 28, 1914. Many of the people who heard the story directly from him are now dead, so it's hard to say. But that's the that's the story. So. We're interested in going over there this summer, and I'm wondering if you have any, um, are there notable dates or interesting events that are going on that, that we could use to uh, plan our trip?
0: Sort of celebrating the 100th anniversary or remembering the 100th anniversary of the uh, assassination that started World War I. So a little it?
1: family history touring.
2: Yeah, there are things that uh, visitors can see in relation to that particular event and everything around it. First, is a corner where it happened, or as some people, local people in Syria would ironically say, there's a corner where the driver of the Franz Ferdinand and Sofia Ferdinand lost his driving license forever because of the wrong turn. Uh, Although they say like he was supposed to turn there because uh, in the previous failed assassination, the uh, one Austrian officer was wounded. So maybe they wanted to change the route, according to some sources, to visit this wounded officer in the hospital. So that's why they turned there. But then confusion came because they were not sure whether they should continue the same street or stop. And it gave Princip the best chance. So, literally, corner from where he was shooting now is marked. And because of what I mentioned earlier, it is political sensitivity. They decided not to use the terms like um, neither hero nor terrorist nor assassin. Just simply, uh, w- there was a brief description about the event that took mm-hmm. place there, without glorification of any of size, either Ferdinand or Princip, mm-hmm. um, because it's kind of tricky. So there is a little museum right behind that wall that people can see and be focused on uh, what happened, no, not about who was right or wrong mm-hmm. in all of that, but what happened. So, so,
0: but in Sarajevo, you can go to the spot of the assassination, mm-hmm. and right there, there's a little museum, yes. and that's the mm-hmm. best way to sort of learn about the event, is to go for, to that museum.
2: Yes. yes, for the beginning. And for everything else, is the best it would be to go to the local libraries. They have books in different languages mm-hmm. about that, and different interpretations of the of the same event.
0: By the way, Amir, there's been uh, three wars in Sarajevo, I think, yeah. uh, this last century. Less, yeah, and and uh, yes. talk just a bit about what's left from the uh, the siege of Sarajevo just in the last generation. What, what would we see today from the civil war that, that happened after Yugoslavia
2: broke up? Well, that war, like all the other wars that happened there, were imported and orchestrated somewhere outside of uh, Sarajevo and Bosnia. And for that, um, I would recommend a book from uh, historian Noel Malcolm called The Short History of Bosnia, which uh, describes these things. So, uh, ironically, First World War, we can see the, um, the, how it worked in ratio. The First World War, there would be like... 70 to 80% of the soldiers, uh, people who died as soldiers from Sarajevo and Bosnia versus, let's say, around 20 to 30% of the civilians. In the last war, in the siege of Sarajevo, was opposite. Uh-huh. 70 to 80% civilians versus uh-huh. 20 to 30% of the soldiers, policemen, but uh, that talks about the evolution of the war. So what's left from the siege is mostly the uh, tunnel, underground tunnel digged during the siege of Sarajevo is the only safe way to get inside and outside where there is a film with the original footage. All so you can actually see those tunnels,
0: tunnel. and are, are there still, mm-hmm. s- explain what a Sarajevo rose is, and can you still oh, yeah. see
2: these in the roads? Yeah, uh, they're actually, in Mostar, also in uh, some other places, but uh, that idea came from one Sarajevo artist uh, right after the siege. There are many uh, small shell prints, because the most common weapon used during the siege of Sarajevo was mortar shells. So uh, in a concrete, in the pavement, when they hit the, the ground, when it exploded, there were thousands of them anyway. So after the war, the uh, city officials decided they should mark somehow uh, tragic events that led to the massacres of the civilians on the streets, and they decided to fill them with red color, and their shape looks a little bit like a rose. So there's countless craters in the streets mm-hmm. from mortars hitting
0: during yeah. the, during the siege of Sarajevo. And today, rather than pave them over black, they pave them over red. And you yeah. see the, and these are called the roses of Sarajevo. Yeah,
2: many of them are paved, uh, but thousands of them. I mean, they cannot fill the, all of them uh, no. with red color. So they decided only those that cause certain big massacres. Right. And uh, before we call them roses, we used to call them uh, dragon footprint. Dragon footprint, because they could look like that. Look too. look a little bit like, uh, yeah. you know, like a fossil of the dinosaurs footprint, you know.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We are joined by Amir Telebacherovich and Ben Curtis talking about the war heritage of former Yugoslavia and how we can uh, experience that today as we uh, mark the 100th anniversary of World War I. Ben, when you think of the European Union in 2014 and where Europe was at just before World War I, how far have we come, and, and where, what's your assessment of things as a professor of European history?
1: Yeah, it's so important to think back to the situation of Europe 100 years ago. You know, today you go there, you can pay with one currency across all these countries. You can travel through all these borders, without him to show your passport. Uh, things are peaceful. People get along relatively well. And it was not like that 100 years ago. In fact, the reason why it's like that today is partly because of World War I. People associate the European Union and the European Unification Project with World War II and the Cold War. But you know what? World War II and the Cold War in themselves came out of World War I in large part. You know, Here in 1914, 100 years ago, Europe ruled the world in so many ways. It was this advanced, artistic Uh, technological civilization that blew itself up. Mm -hmm. And it was still picking up the pieces that led to World War II, and then the crater that was there was filled by the Soviets and the Americans in the Cold War. Mm. And so the European Union today and the peace that we have in Europe today is partly a response to the memory of what Europe did to itself in World War I.
0: And what's fascinating to me is in World War I, when you think of the carnage on the Western Front between France and Germany, where just unthinkable casualties were occurring day after day after day most of those people those french and those german people had never met another person from that other country hard to imagine today and today we've come full circle i mean there's a Erasmus program in the european union explain what that is mm-hmm. and why
1: yeah i mean it allows uh, young people to study at university level in, in a bunch of different countries different european countries and that's part of this idea of building bonds amongst people and one thing I would say to people listening and to people thinking about going to this area is the peace of the European Union and the prosperity and security that it has helped provide has not fully reached the Balkans. And some of the problems associated with World War I are still there in the Balkans today. It's a fascinating place to travel. It's a fascinating place to connect to this history. And World War I, especially for North Americans, I think, tends to get overlooked in favor of the heroic image of World War Two, But World War I has as many stories of heroism, tragedy, suffering as World War II does. And I would really urge people in this centenary year of the start of World War I mm-hmm. to read a book, to think about what happened, and even the less known parts like the Balkans, where it's fascinating. And Amir, you've,
0: unlike the rest of us here, you've actually lived through a war. You've, you've, you've heard the bombs, you've seen people killed. What is your feeling now as we think back on 100 years ago since World War One, and you think back on how Sarajevo came out of the the horrible civil war and the siege of Sarajevo? Are you hopeful? What What do you see in the future for the people of Bosnia? Uh,
2: first of all, many people who survived, they don't like to call it civil war because, you know, when you say civil war, it gives you an idea like everybody was killing everybody, mm-hmm. which is not always the case, you know. Like it was pretty much many of, of these things that happened were organized. Mm-hmm. And I witnessed that. I know how it worked Anyway. So I survived the siege of Sarajevo about three and a half years, as many other people. And, um, well, my feeling when it comes to this so-called marking or celebrating, I'm not sure how they're going to do that uh, in June this year, 100 years since assassination and beginning of the World War One. It's a little tricky. Uh, I was trying to explore the story as a journalist, and I couldn't get the proper answers about what a, some embassies, EU embassies in Sarajevo, actually, they're planning to organize that, mm-hmm. not, not even the Sarajevo government so much they're planning to organize this event in some, I would say, a little bizarre way. Like, what, I'm not sure what is their idea behind it. Uh, it sounds like they just want to market, but at the same time, the way they're planning to do that seems like celebration. So there's mm-hmm. nothing to celebrate there. I mean, beginning of the World War One, they said they're planning something or some kind of um, program, competitions, firework. Yeah, it's, uh, hard, it's hard to so celebrate
0: like a, the start of a war, but I think yeah. we can celebrate that today, 100 years later, mm-hmm. we've learned a few lessons from all these wars, and, and I think it's fair to say We know how to live together better now than we did back then?
2: Yeah, hopefully uh, it will be like that, because by now that program is not completely clear what will happen there. Interestingly, one of the, I'm not sure, somebody from the family of Otto von Habsburg is planning to come for that occasion. And at the same time, well, that's why I mentioned earlier, it's still a political question. Some Serbian historians uh, were (laughs) against it, so we're wondering if the member of the Gavrilo Princip's family would come here (laughs) later at the same time, so... You know, Whoa. history we history repeat in Europe many times. You know? So one
0: of the surviving Habsburgs is still around and potentially invited to the cent- centennial yeah, so, celebrations, yeah. and then other people are saying, well, we should invite so,
2: an I mean, ancestor be, of uh, the
0: assassin. This is very... It's Still, there's yeah. a lot of politics. It's very complicated. Yeah, but Ben, wouldn't you say the great triumph of the EU is that we've woven the economies together
1: and that that has been a powerful force for peace? Exactly. I mean, the European Union has made incredible progress and contributions to securing peace and prosperity for most of Europe, and that's one reason why these countries in the Balkans, such as Bosnia-Herzegovina, Serbia, Montenegro, Macedonia, why they want in the European Union, or at least some politicians wow. do.
0: Well, this is one opportunity as we look at the 100th anniversary of World War I, where we can give meaning and, and hopefully a, a good result of so many people who gave their lives in these uh, horrific struggles that we can learn to live better together today. Amir Telebachevich and Ben Curtis, thank you so much for giving us an insight into World War I and our sightseeing as we consider traveling in the former Yugoslavia. Thanks very much, Thank Rick. you. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Eastern Europe and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of the best of Eastern Europe, the best of the Adriatic, Prague and Budapest, and Bulgaria. For a free catalogue and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.